I'm super excited today to um, be here with my friend Evelyn Levinson, the known as the Empowered Projector, and she is gracious enough to t- come and tell us her human design story, which I think everyone, whether you're a projector or not, will find some empowering tips in little bits from her story. So I met Evelyn, um, I think I, well, I know I heard you present at last year's conference and I might've met you at the one before, right? Yeah. So um, everybody here, see if you've been listening to these stories, you'll know there's a lot of cool people you meet at conference and Evelyn will actually be presenting again at this year's um, International Human Design Conference, but more of that later. Anyway, Evelyn is going to tell us a little bit about her story and how human design found her, I think, more than you found it, right? <laughs> what, How that has really transformed your life. And hopefully um, a lot of you will find golden nuggets in there. So I invite you to just tell us wherever you want to start, Evelyn. <laughs> Okay, great. So yeah, right now, I I love using human design to help people. And I find that human design makes a huge difference in helping people to not only know who they are, but feel better about themselves and trust themselves more. I think those are two of the things that are just so consistent through through readings and empowerment of people through human design. So it's a brilliant system, and uh, I'm so grateful to have it as a tool to use to help people. So a, b- a bit about my story. Um, I was in the sort of, not the academic world, but more the I have two master's degrees. And I have a, an MBA, a, a business degree, and a master's in public administration. And I worked in government, and then I got my MBA, and I worked in the business field. I worked in cellular telecommunications. I was uh, the first um, uh, vice president of customer service for a, a non-wireline cellular telephone company, the Washington Baltimore um, Cellular One. So I was doing really well in... That's right. In- <laughs> My husband worked for Cellular One around the time you worked there, and I do remember. I forgot that little. Oh wow! Yes, it it was it was an exciting, dynamic time, and I think one of the things I enjoyed so much about it was creating something new that had never really been done before. And so we were forging new ground. It was very uh, exciting, and I worked like a demon. And then I started to burn out, and I ended up moving jobs. And one of the things I noticed about myself at the time, this was long before human design, was that when I was changing jobs, I always wanted some time off. It's like, you know, people, other people were ready to like dive into their next job right away. I always wanted like, oh, at least two weeks. Oh, a month would be great. Can I have like a month before I have to start my new, my next job? That would be awesome. So, um, and I just, no one else seemed to want that or need that. And I thought that was really curious. And I also noticed that when I was with large groups of people, um, like I did the uh, landmark education work for a while, and when I'd be in a room with, you know, 100 people or in a communications course, you know, several hundred people, I would come home after that and I would need at least a day to kind of recover. You know, I would call in sick to work and I didn't even want to listen to music or watch TV. I just wanted to sit quietly. And I thought, that's really weird. What's wrong with me? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And then later, when I found out I was a projector uh, and had open emotional solar plexus and a lot of open centers, it made enormous amounts of sense. 
Um, but I was, I was floating. I was drifting. I would, I had done well, but I was burned out. And I also knew that there was something more that I could do and wanted to do to help people, but I had no idea what that was. So I was you know, flailing around and grabbing at straws, kind of trying to figure it out. I did some accounting work. I helped people with QuickBooks and, and Quicken. And, and then I came across a health coaching program. And that seemed interesting to me because I'd always been interested in health. And fortunately, one of the free teleclasses that was offered in this program was about EFT, the emotional freedom techniques. And so I was listening to that teleclass and there were two people leading the class, Brad Yates, who apparently was well known in the EFT world, and a woman named Karen Curry. And this was back in 2008. And I was listening to them and there was something about the way Karen spoke about life and people and what's possible. She just had this perspective that I'd never heard before. And it was, it was calming. It was empowering. And I just felt like, wow, this woman knows things that I don't know and that I want to know, but I didn't know what they were. So I went to her website and there was a whole section on her site about human design. And it, that had not been mentioned at all in the teleclass. Teleclass was only about EFT, but her site had this whole section on human design. So I'm reading it going, wow, that's interesting. Wow. Wow. That's really, wow. That's really interesting. And so I requested my chart and it took a, a few weeks and I got my chart and I looked at it and I looked at this thing and I went, oh, that's really ugly and angular and weird. And it doesn't tell me anything about me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and at the time, I was actually taking care of my mom who was in late stage cancer. And so I just didn't have the time or the bandwidth to look into it any further. So I put it aside. And a few months later, my mom had passed and I circled back around to it. And I read the, the, the report that came with it that said I was a projector. And I read that description. I went, wow, that makes a lot of sense about my life. And and then I started getting into the whole invitations thing. And I, when I looked back, I realized that all of the job, all the great jobs I'd had, actually pretty much all the jobs I'd ever had, I was invited into. And the very few times I was trying to get a job on my own, nada, nothing, flat on my face, despite stellar credentials, I just couldn't find a job to save myself at all. But the invitations, brilliant. So here I'm looking at this chart, I'm reading this description. And so I had a chart run for my partner, Charlie. Turns out he's a projector. I thought, oh, that's odd because we're so different in so many ways. And I read the description of projector to him and he went, wow, that really resonates. That makes sense. That makes sense of my life. I went, oh, I, I was surprised. And then I ran a chart for a friend who turned out to also be a projector. <laughs> and I read the description to her and she said, wow. That really describes my struggles. So I thought, wow, there's something to this. There's there's something here that actually makes sense. And so I started looking into it and I signed up for Karen Curry's training program, which at the time was like a nine-month training program. It wasn't broken up into sections yet. It was all one great long um, program. And uh, within a month or two in that program, I realized there was nothing I wanted to do on this planet more than continue to study this the system and to help other people with it because it had made such a profound difference in my life. Wow. So 
The, um, so that was in 2008 that you Eight. did the training too, or is that, was that it, it started, it actually started, I think, January, 2009. Okay. And it went through most of that year. So I have to come in at a couple of things that you said. So yeah. Well, that you had to wait three weeks or whatever to get your chart. Like, and that was just 2008, right? Like to, to, right. to people like me, that doesn't sound like that long ago. Right. I mean, right. I've, I, I have, you know, I have probably some shoes that are older than that. Right. You know, but it's like to wait along and now it's like, we can get our chart for free and, Instantly. and right. like many different forms and stuff. So, um, and then, and then I also noticed, um, that you said that when you saw your chart, you were like, ew, this doesn't yeah. resonate. And I remember hearing Karen Curry Parker talk about, and she was Karen Curry back then, not Parker. Yes. Um, <laughs> That how she talked about how when she first saw her chart, she was like, she cried, laid it on yeah. her chest, cried. So that's, you know, really shows how different this all resonates with different people. And I found that in talking to people, there are some people who like, if they're looking at their chart, they're like this, they don't it, mm -hmm. like almost mm -hmm. the reading and other people they're like, and mm -hmm. so it's interesting. And I, I wonder where, if that's something we can see in the chart somewhere, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think everybody has their own, you know, I had my expectations of, you know, some great revelation of information right. and the chart itself doesn't say much unless you know how to, how to read it. Yeah. So, right. and that was frustrating. Back then there was very little information available online, very little. And so I was like hungry. It's like, I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. Uh, and I found that to be, um, oh, well, there was there was a decent amount of information available, but when I found Human Design, or it found me seven years ago, there was a, a still a huge difference between what's available now. So right. even Karen's content was very small compared to what it is now. So right. yes. anyway, so you found Human Design, you started training in it in 2008, yeah. and then um, what happened? Um, so uh, I I'm a one three projector, so I'm ex I'm. Uh, investigative and experimental. So I need to understand it. I need to study it. I need to research it. And then I need to play with it and figure out what works and what doesn't work. And actually, when I dis when I discovered the one three, I remembered that when I worked for a company, uh, a cellular related company, um, this was many years ago when the internet was coming on and, and, um, and Microsoft had developed Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. And we were starting to use those in, in, in the office. I was fascinated with them and I would literally take the manual home with me at night. And the manual was like, you know, right. 500 page book. And I would read a few chapters and take a whole bunch of notes. And then the next day I would go into the office and sit at the computer and play with it. Go, oh, that's what that looks like. Oh, that's what that meant. Oh, now I understand. So, you know, I would research it, but then I had to play with it to see how it actually worked to really get it so that I could use it. And then the next night I'd take the book home again and read another couple chapters and take a whole bunch of notes. And, and when I learned that I was a one three, I went, oh, duh, that's exactly what a one three does. Right. I research it and then I play with it and figure out what works and what doesn't work. And don't you find then you'd go back and research again? Like I'm, oh, yeah. I've, yeah. yeah, I have a few clients that are one threes and I've found that sometimes the, the experimenting, the, the playing with it is one of the major aspects of the research, like yes. seeing what doesn't work and then going in exactly. and doing, investigating to see exactly. what to try next. 
I bet exactly. you Edison was a one three. <laughs> I'm sorry, say again. I bet Thomas Edison was a one three. Oh, I have no well, idea about how, how he <laughs> had to try all those different um, mm-hmm. things. Light bulb work. Right. Yeah, like all those, you know, a lot right. of great. Stuff. Yeah, he must have been a third line. I don't know if it was a one tree, but definitely a third line. <laughs> I would, I would think. Um, so, so here it is. It's summer of two thousand nine, and I'm part way through um, the the training program, Karen's training program, and there is a holistic health fair that's coming in t- in local town in the Daytona Beach area where I live, and uh, and I thought, ooh. You know, maybe I should get a booth there and start sharing human design with people. That would be really interesting. But I thought, okay, but wait, I haven't been invited. Hmm. How does that work? Okay. Well, let me sort of get ready just in case. And I started, you know, figuring out what I would do and how I would sort of set things up. And I lined up someone to maybe help me, uh, run charts. And, uh, and I went to a, um, a potluck, local potluck of a, uh, a sort of vegetarian group. Uh, and um, and I was getting out of my car at the same time another lady was getting out of her car, and I'd met her before. Um, and she turns out that she is the one who was organizing the holistic health fair. And so we chatted a little bit on our way into the door and said, what are you up to? And I ta- started talking a little bit about human design. And then, you know, we got in and then there was, you know, chaos and, and, you know, busyness and talking to people. And then we ended up next to each other in line to get food. And so I was telling her a little bit more about human design and she looked at me and this is the head, this is the lady who's organizing this event. She looked me straight in the eye and she said, Evelyn, do you have a booth yet? And I said, no. And she said, you have to have a booth. I want you to have a booth. I went, oh my God, that was an invitation. (laughs) That was an invitation from the person who has the authority to make that kind of invitation. That's how it works. Right. So I was really learning, experiencing it as I was, I was experiencing the, how it looks, how it works, how it feels as I was studying and learning about it. And so I did have a booth and it went great. Um, and I'd had, I had booths after that, but I never had that same clear invitation and they weren't as fun or as successful. So that invitation really, really nailed it. It was amazing. So I started sharing human design with people. And as a result, I started lining up some readings, even though I wasn't through the training yet. I, I'd studied, you know, part of it, but we hadn't got to gotten to the gates and channels yet. We'd just done the, the few basics, like what would now be considered levels one and two uh, with Karen. And I was already starting to book readings with people. And that was amazing because my conscious son is activated um, it activates the gate 48 and the gate 48 is the gate of depth and the fear of being not ready and not knowing enough. And that had always held me back in life. It's like, Oh, I don't know enough. I'm not ready. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this. I, you know, uh, but here I was starting to book readings before I'd even finished the training. That was how powerful the commitment was. And the connection to this information was for me and how eager I was to get out there and start helping people with it. And I was, I even did some mini readings, like, you know, five, 10 minute readings during, during an expo. And, and people were astounded. This one lady looked at me and said, Oh my God, I feel naked. You know, how, how do you know all this stuff about me? <laughs> so I went, wow, I'm really onto something here. And so I've just gradually, slowly built my business. And um, and then eventually wrote the book. But it took years 
before I was ready to write that book for projectors. Yeah, and Karen, I was. Actually, Karen had, it's interesting because Karen had been inviting me for years. Evelyn, you need to write a book for projectors. Evelyn, please write a book for projectors. Projectors need something and you can provide it. And I never felt ready. It's like, I I had so much I wanted to say, I didn't even know where to begin. And I just felt like, oh, not not yet, not yet, not yet. And then um, in, uh, when was it? 2021, I guess. I think it was 22. It was 22, early in 22. um, I was, I had uh, um, contracted with Grace Point Publishing to publish three short books I wanted to write um, about the fears of the spleen and the emotions of the solar plexus and some things I'd uh, been doing some um, uh, blog posts about. And Michelle, who's Karen's partner in, in, in Grace Point Publishing, publishing company, Michelle got in touch with me and said, Evelyn, instead of these three short books, why don't you write a book on projectors for projectors? <laughs> and and there was something about the timing of that. So we talked a little bit about it. And then like maybe an hour later, and I love Michelle, She's she hasn't studied human design, but she spent so much time with Karen that she understands the basics. And she sent me an email that said, Evelyn, I invite you to write a projector book. Period. Right. <laughs> and that was the entire email. <laughs> and I'm splenic in my authority, and my spleen went, yes. Yeah. I just, my whole, when, when I get a strong yes, my whole body just kind of vibrates. And it just, it was the right time. I wasn't ready until then. And the prior invitations hadn't done it yet because I wasn't ready. But when I was ready, and literally within 24 hours, the entire outline of the book poured out of me onto a page and it didn't change at all all i needed to do was fill it in so okay so i want to i want to ask about the splenic response and so i'm going to put that a note for later because what i really want to go into right now is this being not not being ready and wondering if while you weren't ready about if were there points where you felt like you got caught in that bitterness that we often hear Mm -hmm. so much about and some of us as projectors spend a lot of time kind of stuck in because we want something to happen now but Mm -hmm. we're not ready and we get caught up in the bitterness of not getting the invitation instead of that Mm -hmm. you sound like you've been in the flow in what you described but i'm wondering Um, yeah i don't think i experienced bitterness about that um, you know, I just, I knew I wasn't ready and I, w- I, th- there was frustration there with myself, but it, I, it wasn't bitter because I was being invited. Right. It wasn't that I was, wasn't being recognized or invited. I was, um, but I just didn't feel ready. Just in general though, is there a time where you can think of during this journey where you were in that bitterness for a while or, um, you know, or, or not, why do you think that has been? Yeah, it was probably sort of bitterness with myself. Yeah. That, you know, you, you, you've helped a lot of people. You know enough, you know a lot already. Why can't you figure out how to get it together to write a book? Why, you know, why are you so hesitant? Why, why won't you step forward and share and make a difference that you know you can make? Um, so I was, I was angry with myself, frustrated and, and maybe just bitter that 
I don't have the same energy. And, you know, as I was building my business, I was watching Karen build her business and, and always feeling less than. It's like, oh my God, what, she, you know, she does so much. I barely do, you know, in, in, you know, one year what she gets done in one month. And, and I remember resenting that, feeling bitter that why is this so hard for me? And I knew, I mean, I knew I was a projector and she was a manifesting generator. It's like, duh. But there was still this part of me because I have business background and, and training and I have an MBA. It's like, why can't I do this? Why can't I just, you know, make it happen? Like, duh, I'm not supposed to make it happen. <laughs> it's not how I'm wired. I had wanted to share your chart and just technology issues glitched and I didn't get it in there and I didn't get it up there, but I have it. I have it and I've seen it, but it's somewhere in my Ajna. So my open Ajna, remind me and let everyone else know which channels do you have? Um, and cause you're a splenic projector. So you have right. your scene defined via what? Um, via two channels, the channel of ambition, the 5432 from the root to the spleen and the channel of struggle, the 3828. Um, oh, so, so those two. Yes. Those You've had a lot of that um, root pressure. Mm -hmm. Well, it's defined root, but yeah, a lot of root energy. I um, mean, that pulsing the to the spleen. Right. Yes. yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, then from the ajna to the throat, I have the 1156. Right. Okay. Okay. So I have defined ajna and throat and defined root and spleen, and everything else is open. So, and actually, my solar plexus center is completely open, no hanging gates at all. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So, and so your own, those are, so you have those four centers defined. Yes. Right? Okay. So, and if those of you, um, I will later put the chart in here if you're visual and people want to see her chart, what we're talking about, but that just helps me to kind of remember some stuff. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about being a splenic projector. Um, mm -hmm. We talked last week with um, Shannon Du, who, <clears throat> excuse me, Shannon Du, who is a splenic manifester. And mm -hmm. so she talked a little bit about it, but you talked about your spleen saying yes. And I um, have heard some people say that the spleen only says no. Mm -hmm. And I do not claim to have that knowledge because I do have a defined spleen. I have my spleen defined from the 2644, which is from the, um, just for those who aren't from the will center to the spleen. And um, so I have, I have that awareness of when my spleen kind of has told me don't do that and I've ignored it and then not good stuff has happened. But I don't know when I feel the yeses, if that's coming from my spleen or what. I am emotional, so I can't trust it in the now anyway for the yeses. Right. So um, if you can speak a little bit about how you understand your splenic um, mm -hmm. Right. Work. Well, I, I can speak not only from my own experience, but but ha from having done hundreds and hundreds of yes. readings um, with, with people, many of whom are splenic. And um, the spleen is all about survival and it's all about protection it's about the immune system it's 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 our well-being it, it's our physical well-being and so the splenic response is always from the perspective of is this safe for me is this healthy for me you know and ultimately is it aligned for me but it's really about protecting you your spleen wants to protect you so that you survive and so it's always coming from that 
point of view, that perspective. And I've met many splenics who say, like you do, I, I feel a strong no, but rarely do I feel a yes. That's just its way of protecting. But I tend to not feel very strong no's. I feel more yeses, and I've had a lot of clients who feel a strong yes with splenic. Um, so it it really varies, you know, and it's it's quiet and it's quick. And I've learned to tune myself to feel for it and listen for it so that it can guide me. And it's become easier and easier. It's like a muscle, you know, you just get better at it with practice. And so, um, but even when it's not just protection, it's like one time I've, I, I, I have this weird thing about lamps. You know, most lamps I just can't stand. But I found this one lampshade one time, a long time ago, and I picked it up. It was in the in the in a shop, and I picked it up and I just hugged it to my chest as I walked around the rest of the store looking at things. Like it was just an instant whole body. Yes, I want that. And I sort of assumed that was splenic. It wasn't that I was under threat or was protecting me, but I just had this strong, full body sense of yes, I want that. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. So now if you're talking to someone who says, I don't feel my splenic response, I don't nothing, how would you tell them to try to get in tune with that? Um, really making an, an intentional effort in in moments of opportunity for a response to really pay attention to it because it's already always happening. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of tuning into it. So it's not like you have to remember to have a splenic reaction. It's instant. You just need to remember to tune in and, and feel for, okay, what was that feeling? Was it was it a positive? Was it a yes? Was it, you know, does it feel safe or was it a no? Yeah. Um, and it's just practice, you know, um, like 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 being a screen, not a sponge with your open centers. It's just practice. So I say, you know, tattoo it on the back of your hand if you need to, you know, whatever you need to do to remind you to get into the habit and practice of paying attention to it. Yeah. So um, I want to go back a little bit to the um, projector and the bitterness thing, because mm-hmm. one of the, I just think it's remarkable whenever I've talked to you, I've never gotten a sense of... Um, that projector bitterness that is so common when you when you go into you know there's tons of different facebook groups for all different types and you have your group which is the empowered projector which is a wonderful group if people if your projectors out there i highly recommend the group um and but there's so many posts of people just complaining about how much they hate being a projector and how they're sick of waiting and they're just and they're kind of um, in this victim mode. And I'm sure you've met people like that and you've experienced that. And I'm wondering if you can just speak to that and um, talk maybe about why that you never felt that happened with you because you didn't have you to learn from. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right? true. And, and I, it's not that I've never felt bitter. I, I certainly have. But it hasn't been a major theme. I, I think I've been lucky in so many ways as a projector that I haven't had a lot of the financial struggles that a lot of projectors have. Uh, I, you know, I, I was invited into great, great um, jobs. And, uh, you know, I've just been able to kind of chart my path my own way without having a lot of struggle. So I've been, you know, knock on wood and very grateful um, about that. But 
you know, bitterness is is pretty common. You know, when I work with my projector clients, you know, often they don't seem bitter either, but I'll say, well, you know, let's talk a little bit about bitterness. What's that like for you? And oh, and they, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm oh yeah, bitterness, yes. <laughs> so it's it's a pretty common um common experience with projectors. And it's common for projectors when they discover their projector to be unhappy about it and upset about it. I know projectors cried for days when they discovered they were a projector. It's like they feel like they got the short end of the stick. And I think that's a large reason why I wanted to write this book and to help people understand, help projectors understand that we are designed for a specific role and a specific purpose. And when we are doing that, we are at our best and we are fulfilling our potential. But we live in a world that is dominated by generators and manifesting generators. And because they dominate, they sort of set the stage, they set the tone, they set the expectations that we're not designed to keep up with, but we're in the soup, <laughs> sort of in this generator soup that, that we need to swim through uh, to make life happen. And it's it, the world is just not designed to support us and recognize us at this at this time. Um, so it's like we're up against it, uh, you know, and it's it's challenging. And when we compare ourselves to others, we feel like we fall short. And so we blame ourselves and we feel bad and we feel guilty and we feel angry and we feel frustrated and we get bitter. You know, it the bitterness often starts with it's not fair. Like, it's not fair that I just tried to help that person and she bit my head off. It's not fair that, you know, I'm trying to do the same thing this other person is doing and it's not working for me, it's working for her. She's doing, you know, her business is growing and mine is is stagnant. Why? I'm working so hard at this. Why isn't it working? Um, and so that it's not fair leads into resentment and then resentment spirals down into full-blown bitterness. Yeah. And, you know, for me... um, one of the things that I felt that I think sometimes made me bitter too was because I'm such a, I'm an energy projector. I have all the motors except the sacral defined. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, be, with that open head Najna and not knowing and when enough is enough in my sacral, those are my only three centers that are not defined. Mm -hmm. So um, what was to happen is I kept thinking I would learn my way into being a projector. I would figure it all out in my head mm -hmm. and I would know what to do, but um, there would become this thing where I would just, um, I would have the energy to do because I have all these other motors, um, but I couldn't, still couldn't do it in the way that, like, I didn't understand how can I be the person who can outwork anybody? You know, I'm that person who I had to stop going to the gym because I was so competitive that I would come home and like, I'd go work out and they'd do suicides or something. And I'd like, I'm not in great shape. I would kill myself to not be the last person. And, you know, and so then I'd come home and all I'd want to do is eat everything in sight and lay on the couch all day. I'd have no energy. So I like, I would have energy in the moment then I'd have none. And then I'd just be bitter because why does this work? I'm doing what they're all saying, but it doesn't work that way for me, whether it was working out, whether it's working a job. And yes, the jobs I was invited to worked great, but any other job where I tried to like assert myself and do all those things, but it didn't feel like it was a lack of energy with me because I had, you know what I mean? So I got in this whole like 
head for a long time stuck in my head like why this doesn't yeah. make sense. so yeah so i yeah the, the energy thing is is really tricky because you have these motors defined but none of them of course get to the throat because if they got to the throat you'd be a manifester so um and, and i i've talked to a lot of three motors projectors i've even talked to a lot of four motors um uh generators who have an open throat and with all those motors but no motor to the throat it's kind of like you're sitting at a at a traffic light at a red light you know and you've got plenty of gas you've got plenty of motor power in your vehicle and the light turns green and you put your foot on the gas and you want and you want to go you've got all this motor power but it's like your wheels are spinning and you it's hard to get forward momentum it's hard to get traction without a motor to the throat. And so, you know, you don't have full access to your motor energy just by yourself. I wish I had better um, mechanical knowledge because I know Ellen Hefty's watching and she would be able to really use this with her. She does the vehicles as an analogy. And I'm like, is that the clutch? What is it that is building? <laughs> Something like that. I'm not sure if I know my, um, my mechanics well enough. Yeah, that make the wheels engage. So so when you were going to the gym, you were around a lot of sacral energy that you're taking in and amplifying. You get home and you probably don't have that around. And of course you've exhausted yourself physically. So yes, you're you know, you've got zero energy. Interestingly, I've done a lot of readings for no motors projectors. And they seem to have an extraordinary amount of energy. More energy sustainably than a lot of the motor projectors that I've met. And I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. It's kind of like the motors don't slow them down. Well, that makes a little bit of sense because, you know, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, we, you know, I have the root pulse that has to be engaged and I have right. the wheel that has to be rested for it to work. And then I have the exactly. soul that is dependent on the wave. But right. if all those are open and you're just amplifying the mm -hmm. motors around you, you right. can actually yeah. take in that energy. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that even when they're on their own, even when they're alone, they seem to have energy. You know, they seem to, you know, pull it in from the ethers or something. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but they have remarkable energy uh, for the most part. Not everyone, of course, but a lot of no motors projectors have enormous energy. Uh, and that's really encouraging. I think yeah. because people, you know, a lot of projectors say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sustainable. This is the main reason I wrote the book that being told that you're not sustainable in today's world is like, well, how am I supposed to function in today's life if I'm not sustainable? It felt like a, a prison sentence or, you know, a, a punishment. Um, and, you know, when we realize that we have energy, it just works differently than others. And of course, we have basic energy for doing life. It's the recognition and invitations from outside of us that bring additional energy to us that then allows us to take action in a project or whatever we've been invited into. So the recognition and invitation brings energy that allows us to fulfill whatever we're moving into, assuming that that our authority said, you know, yes, I want to do that. Yes, that's a line for me. Um, and without that, we have sort of basic energy. But if we're exhausting ourselves trying to keep up with the rest of the world, then that drains our energy and we end up needing a lot of rest. And and burnout, of course, is is 
very challenging to recover from. I always tell my clients, you know, it, it may not seem easy in the moment, but it's much easier to avoid burnout than it is to recover from burnout. And if you are in burnout, your number one job, your only job is to recover from burnout because nothing else will work if you're still in burnout. Yeah. And you know, that's really hard though. When you have, I can think of a couple projectors I know who are kind of in um, financial survival mode. So, but they have burnout. And so trying to, you know, trying to heal in a way that will draw incorrect invitations, yet still, you know, not wind up on the streets, you know, and to have food to eat. You know, and so I'm wondering what sort of advice, I know it's, that's a very general question that probably has a more specific answers based on people. But if there's something just in general that comes to mind that you tell people when they're in that sort of situation. Um, I'm a pragmatist. And, you know, as much as we say, when human design, you have to wait for an invitation. First of all, I say, you know, we, we can take action without invitations. Invitations help. But, you know, there are no projector police out there that are going to smack our hand if we try to do something without an invitation. Well, there's some and, in and some of the groups. I know. I know. And that's, that's why I was really clear in my book. It's like, I, you know, I, not, not all human design people agree with me, but this is my perspective and this is my experience personally and with clients that, you know, we can take action. It may not work great. But in, and it may work better if we wait for an invitation. But the last thing I think is useful on the planet is for all these powerful, amazing projectors to be sitting on their hands, waiting, doing nothing, saying, I'm not supposed to do anything without an invitation. Like, no, you know, if it feels aligned, take action and then see what happens. You'll know, have realistic expectations about it. It may not work smoothly, but uh, and invitations are worth waiting for. But you don't have to do nothing while you're waiting. You can be empowered while you're waiting. Right. Um, so I wanted to circle back. Where was we? Where, where were we? Where was we? <laughs> where were we? <laughs> um, my brain works so fast sometimes that I lose track of where I was. Um, we were talking about like when somebody is in a position where they can't pay the bills right, and right. Yes. they yes. are burned out. They have yes. that, you know, yes. they've been trying yes. to operate their whole life as a generator type. And now they're like, uh, right, right, right. Where do you start? So, yeah, I'm I'm a pragmatist. I mean, do what you got to do. You know, do it with the understanding that it's not ideal uh, and do whatever you can around the edges to take as good care of yourself to heal. Uh, and as much as possible, leverage whatever you can. When when uh, projector clients say, you know, they want to start a new business, you know, they want to start, you want to become a coach or they want to start a business. I always tell them, imagine the easiest way that that could come about the easiest way that that could unfold. What would that look like? What would that feel like? How could it be like easy, like 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 floating downstream, like no effort? What would that look like and feel like and sort of seed the universe with that? Like Karen says, you know, seed the universe. Um, put that out there without any contradicting thoughts uh, and see what happens. But also in that vein, like who do you know who maybe could help you? Who do you know who, who could refer clients to you? Or maybe if if they want to do coaching, for example, you know, can you work for someone else who already has a business going so that you don't have to do all of the effort to create a business from scratch? Because as projectors, we want to just be able to step in and do our brilliance. 
Yes. And not, and that's the beauty of the invitation is an invitation implies that there's already something existing going on, or they're inviting you to, to create, to help them create something, but there's already some momentum, some movement, some energy behind it that you can step into and then do your brilliance and not have to do all the grunt work of making it possible and making it happen in the first place. So, you know, if you are in a desperate situation, figure out whatever leverage you can apply and however you can you know use other people's support don't be afraid to ask for support don't be don't be afraid to say you know what what the situation is and um and you know get some some support from the people around you who love you and care about you and who can do something to help you and yeah the other thing about not just being passive and waiting for an invitation is how useful it is to be visible as a projector, to be out there, to let people know who you are, what you're up to, what you're looking for in a non-pushy way, in a gentle way, because pushy doesn't work for projectors, but letting people know, I call it being invitable. Right. You need to make sure that people know who you are so they can invite you, know what you do so they can invite you into the right thing and know how to find you so they can find you to invite you. You know, you need to make it easy for them to, to be, to be invitable. Um, and, and that's attitude as well. You know, bitterness is understandable, but it's very repelling. You know, nobody wants to invite someone who's bitter. So you need to figure out how to manage that bitterness and kind of climb out of that slippery slope. Of bitterness so that you can be invitable, findable and invitable. Yeah. It's really funny how that works too. Cause I notice when I'm in a, you know, I haven't definitely, you know, I have that individual um, 3955 emotional wave, that mm-hmm. channel of emoting. It's like a channel of moodiness, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. me. Um, and I, it's funny how that is not just when you're with me, like I notice when I'm kind of in a bit of a funk, like the world goes really quiet for me. And then like, I'll feel better and I won't even like put anything out there. And all of a sudden people are tagging me in Facebook groups and recommending me and like talking about things. And I'm like, isn't that funny how my aura just all of a sudden is like, right? It's like supercharged. But I want to hear what you're saying. But I also want to remind people that, you know, if you're watching, we've got another 15 minutes or so. So if anybody has any questions for Evelyn, please um, put them in the comments and I'm going to look and see if I missed anything. I don't see anything here, but, um, oh, there are a couple that just some people say they're watching, but I had someone say, Lynn says, grand rising blessings lady. But if anybody has any questions, I'd really love to... um, see those come up. So we have a couple of minutes to get to that. But if you want to speak to what I was just saying, if I didn't ramble too much. Um, well, I did want to speak to bitterness a little more. Can we do that? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. So bitterness is, it's understandable. It, you want to avoid it if you can, but it's also a red flag that lets you know that there's something off in the way you're interpreting and perceiving the world around you and what's happening to you. So it's a it's a good indicator that you want to look at, okay, what am I thinking or doing or saying or believing that isn't aligned for me, that is leading me to feel this bitterness? Um, because that's that's your leverage point of saying, okay, this is where I need to shift. And often it's mindset. 
It's like, I need to shift my mindset so that um, I'm interpreting things uh, a little differently. The other aspect of bitterness that I think is not often recognized is that it's potentially self-protection. Hmm. When you can see, oh, wait a minute, my bit, you know, when you're bitter, you're pushing people away. And in pushing people away, you're protecting yourself from further hurt, from further frustration, from further feeling awful about yourself or comparison or people criticizing you or whatever's going on. It's like you're building this wall to kind of protect yourself from being further hurt. And when you recognize that, it's like, oh, okay, so why do I need to protect myself? You know, what's going on that I'm feeling this unconscious need to protect myself and put up that that boundary, that barrier that will keep people away? And, and maybe, maybe you need to keep people away until you heal. Um, but again, the bitterness repels people in a way that doesn't serve you in the longer term. So, right. you know, if, if you're doing that, you know, hopefully it'll be temporary and it'll serve its function uh, for you. And then you can climb out of that and come back up into um, the, 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 the rest of the world. And, and again, be findable and invitable and, and offer your, your brilliance. Yeah. So that's, that's really huge. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me that it's, it protects us from, con it kind of stops us from continuing to go down the wrong path, right? In a way, yeah. Have the wrong people like pushing, us, like, because what I've noticed is when I get in bitterness, nobody wants to talk to me anyway. <laughs> so they don't have the influence on me that maybe they weren't supposed to have because right. they're not around. And right. sometimes I find that um, you know, when we we're talking about creating things in a way that's sustainable, like a business that's findable and stuff, I know in my head and not just in my head, in the people around me, a lot of times I have people saying, oh, well, you should create this and you should do this and you should do a webinar and you should do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just go, oh, I'm so tired thinking about that because none of that lights me up to, to make. I'm like, I don't need to recreate the wheel. And that's why I'll send people to join Care, you know, I have affiliate links that night. It's nice to get a little bit of a financial benefit that way, but right. I will send people to do professional training with Karen, or there's other people right. that I like right. as well, but yeah. um, don't have the affiliate links with. But Karen's my favorite for sure. Yeah. Um, but if it doesn't suit someone, I'll send somebody in a different direction, or I'll send somebody to a, your website for, you know, information that I haven't produced because I just don't feel the need to make something that's already out there, right? Just so that I can say it has my name on it, right? Right, right. Yeah, we so. need to do what's correct for us. And all of the business coaching and advice and, and mentoring and all that, we still, especially as projectors, but really all types, you need to filter what other people are telling you through what you know about yourself and what you know is true about yourself, what you know works for yourself, and of course, through your strategy and authority. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the questions that I really like to ask guests is, is there something specific in how you talk about yourself that you felt really shifted once you understood your human design? Like, how has that caused you to change your narrative of who you are? Oh, um, that's a great question. 
I don't talk about myself a lot, so <laughs> which maybe is a projector thing. <laughs> um, no, so, I talk about myself a lot, but I think that's a one eight thing. So yeah, maybe I have yes. That. yes, right. Um, what I do know is that it has shifted how I perceive my role in the world, and it has allowed me to feel good about what I do and the contribution that I make in the context of who I am and who I'm designed to be. And it's given me a lot more self-confidence. It's got, it's given me a lot more Mm self-trust and I've been able to, to sort of navigate my path in a way, knowing what's true for me and, and finally relaxing away from trying to be like Karen and realizing, you know, come on, Evelyn, you're not designed like her. You will never do that. And you're not supposed to, you have a different role to play. And when I step into that and stop comparing and stop trying to be like others, it has allowed me to be true to myself. And in that, I'm able to shine. And in that, I'm able to, I think, guide and lead people and sort of lead by example. People say, oh, well, she, you know, she's sort of following what's true for her. Maybe I can do that too. For example, when, um, you know, I do readings, I have always from the beginning scheduled two days a week for readings. I don't, and I do, I do a bunch of readings on those days, but I don't fill my schedule with readings because I would burn out. And I tried that once actually, and I really did burn out. So I, you know, I hold to my boundaries pretty carefully, knowing who I am and knowing my energy and knowing what works for me and what doesn't. So it has allowed me to, you know, be a fuller expression of who I am and write a book and give talks. And I, I was always shy. You know, I, the thought of, you know, public speaking, like, you know, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would be doing this, I'd say, oh, no, you're crazy. (laughs) I would never do that. (laughs) But when the, when the, when the energy is right, when the timing is right, and when, when the alignment is right, it, it's easy to step in when you have the confidence that you're stepping in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, um, it's really amazing how, you know, when you really start to understand the nuances, because you and I are both projectors, but our designs are so very different. Right. And um, I've, I'm fair, I've always been very extroverted. Um, and, but for me, it's this big thing of having to learn not to put the, not to, use so much energy to try to get the recognition, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where a lot of my conditioning came in. I'm the youngest of nine kids and you basically, you know, had to fight for any attention you got, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, right. So, and, and it's, it's, in, it's really, I'm very, I'm, and like I said, I have a lot of definition um, that could easily, like I'm a one gate away from being a manifesting generator in many ways, right? Right. Um, and one gate away from being a manifester in ways. There's so many ways that I can easily feel that. And, and I do have a ton of initiating energy and I have that fine will and, you know, the, the G center to the throat channel where I, so I very much am here to speak from a place of I am. That's right. So, but finding that I'm not for everyone mm-hmm. and not trying to make that be something to fix right. for me has been the, the huge thing. 
about being a projector. Like I'm always going to probably talk more than you. Mm -hmm. And I know that as a projector, um, there are some people who say you're not even supposed to speak until spoken to. And I don't know if I'll ever be that person. You know, I'm always (laughs) going to be the person who offers to help somebody at the grocery store, you know, and, but what I've learned to do is to not take it personally when they don't want that. Right. And so I can sense when someone um, is not responsive to my initiating in a way that I don't take it as something I need to keep pushing. Right. 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 Yeah. And and to offer to help and see their reaction. That's yeah. something that really helps for projectors. It's like you have this wisdom, you have this 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 perception of how how it could work better or how you could help them. But if they're not asking, you want to you want to be gentle with kind of asking for permission to speak, essentially, right. saying something like, Well, I have some experience about this that might be helpful you know, would you be interested in hearing about it? Or may I share it with you? Or, you know, would you listen? You know, just something where you're essentially asking for permission to speak and wording it as a yes or no question. And that will then get their attention and allow them to respond and see if they're really interested. And if they are, then you have what I call an energetic opening to speak into right. with them, where they'll they'll hear you and value what you have to say. But if they're if they're not interested, if they're distracted or no, it's not a good time or I'm busy or, you know, then, you know, you don't have that opening. And so they're not going to hear you anyway. The tricky part with that is if they say yes, but they're just being polite and they don't really mean it, but you'll feel that. And then, you know, you don't have that energetic opening to speak into with that person. Yeah. Yeah. So even just saying things like, can I help you with that? You know, Right. Or can I right. get the door for you? Even for mm-hmm. as a projector, sometimes right. I find that it's right. like even something simple like opening a door feels weird right. to some people, right? Can yes. I get the- yes, yes, yeah, it's exactly. just right. Yes, we don't have that open that it's that motorized throat. It's so weird. Everyone thinks it's just about what you say, right? But it's, no, it's yeah, it's making things happen in the world. Um, so, before we go, I just want to yeah. say, um, read a couple comments. So Lynn says, certainly could resonate with anyone. I had to be informed I was doing it. Didn't realize I was doing the bitterness thing. Definitely was from childhood conditioning. Mm. And then she later says, yes, yes, agree. HD has been pivotal to realizations of why I do what I do by design. So nice. those are, um, um, so I guess we don't have any questions. I guess we've just oh. answered them all. Um, (laughs) there is there is one last point that i'd I'd like to drive home for projectors and that is recognition is really valuable for us i call it sometimes our lifeblood it provides energy for taking action for projects and things that we're invited into but it is not related to our self-value yes we need to stand in our own self-value regardless of whether we're being recognized or invited. And it's sadly easy for projectors, especially the way a lot of projector material is written and, 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 you know, uh, explained that, you know, if we're not getting recognition and invitation, then there's something wrong. And we tend to take it personally. It's like, oh, I'm not being recognized. Maybe I don't, you know, I'm not valuable. I don't have anything to say. I'm not helpful. You know, otherwise I'd be being recognized. And we want to 
distinguish those two as not being related. You're not dependent on external recognition from others in order to feel good about yourself. It's an inside job. You need to stand strong in who you are and feel good about yourself. And I've come to the point where, you know, if I'm not being recognized, like if I did something great in the yard and my and my partner goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that looks nice. Like I go, Evelyn, good job. That looks awesome. Right? You did an amazing job. I recognize myself. You know, if I'm not getting it, yes. it's not from the outside. I do it for me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really great point. And I love um, the idea of ending on that note. But I think it's also true. That applies to everyone. Because if we don't, ha- if we don't recognize our own value just by yes. being right? Yes. Everybody. And we do this thing in society where we hear something bad about some that somebody did something that we don't agree with. And so now we've negated their value as a human being and we can't like that person. We have to unfollow them, whatever it is. <laughs> so we, right. you know, we, we tend to, um, I have a t-shirt from, um, that I got at the, um, like the legacy museum and museum, it's the legacy mm-hmm. of slavery. And this is related mm-hmm. to the criminal justice thing, but it says each of us, it's from Brian Stevenson. Oh, I love him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it says each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think for all of us, when we can heal our, um, our idea that our worth comes from our actions, Right. You know, and realize that we all have things we're here to learn from. And some of those things are mistakes, right? Right. right. So exactly. Especially the third line, when you yes. have that idea that you did something wrong. And so somehow that affects your value. I mean, right. it's just so not true. And there are many things in my life that I stopped doing because nobody else was recognizing them as valuable. And there were things mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, and then we're just giving away parts of ourselves. So I think that that's a lesson that can apply to any type, you know. To right. re- we, we, we set the bar for how other people treat us by how we treat ourselves. Yes. And, yep. and it's, it is an inside job. We need to set that bar so that other people see, oh, that's how she needs to be treated. That's how it's appropriate to treat her because I see how she treats herself. And then you become a, a beacon and a guide and, and uh, an example for others to follow as well. Yes. Well, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. And I love that you're a part of this group. I know you're busy. So you, but um, if you have time to check on the comments later, you mm-hmm. know, lecture, there might be some things that come up. Um, sure. And um, I don't see any other questions. Let me do one last here. I don't see. Nope. Okay. Um, so thanks again. And I'm going to, um, end this live and like i said if you have questions folks just go ahead and put them in the um that's not the right thing here wait and okay it's been a pleasure thank you so much awesome